What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business? Hi everybody, welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm UB, and I am the Latino white guy of the group. I'm Nina, I am the woman of color in the group. And I'm Mike, I'm uh, the blind guy. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, today, um, we're going to be talking about something really important. So, you know, what's pronouns, unconscious bias, ERGs, neurodiversity? What do all these terms mean? Those of us who are immersed in the diversity and inclusion space throw these terms out all the time, and, you know, we know what they mean, but a lot of people at companies, especially if they're from different geographies or different cultures, may have no idea what any of these words mean. And so the question is, is that this language might make sense to some, but to others it doesn't. So today we're going to go over things that companies can do to start these conversations and make everyone feel included and involved in understanding why it's important. Mm -hmm. So let's start talking about that baseline. What's the baseline way to start getting these conversations going? Uh, love, love the topic, and it's super interesting from a, um, you, you know, kind of a, like you didn't even start hearing the term diversity and inclusion or diversity, equity and inclusion, or, you know, it's, it's, it, they're throwing out all the, the variations of that term. And I think even amongst the practitioners, right, of that space, uh, there might be some ambiguity within just those, those phrases and terms and vernacular in general. I hear, you know, different, because when, when I hear organizations who talk about like, oh yeah, we have a great diversity and inclusion, um, you know, program, and we, we have veterans, and we have gender, and we have ethnicity. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, cool, that's a great start. However, let's broaden the scope of that conversation. Yeah, I would even say that with a lot of the diversity and inclusion initiatives that companies go with, it's largely women, and it's largely white women. And they kind of feel like, we've taken care of the issue if we've mm -hmm. worked on the white woman piece. But, you know, there's all these other things that are encompassed in how you define diversity. And that word diversity needs to be defined, you know, as, as a community as well, as a company wide. Well, and I think it starts with kind of sort of, you know, researching and understanding the, the origins of these words. What's interesting about the word inclusion is you know if you kind of go back and really dig into what it means it's saying it's basically saying i want to include you in our group but as long as you think like we do so is that really inclusion right. you know it's, it's like that's that's not really inclusion and then if you think about diversity and just like you talked about well our diversity initiative is to hire more white women okay so you're really creating exclusion here mm -hmm. and you're not really going diverse as it relates to the actual <laughs> definition of the word. Right, so, and you're not thinking deeply about it. You're no. just kind of trying to put a band-aid. It's very surface. It. It's arbitrary, right? And it's they they're attempting to have some kind of internal initiative uh, which to me like it's almost like that feel good. Right? Like, yeah. oh, well, you know, we we need an easy win. Which and, I, and again, I'm a huge fan. I get how how especially for large enterprise organizations how challenging some of these topics are to 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 talk about and then to have action around. And so we 
like w w how I always approach this is like, and you guys have heard me say this, you know, a dozen times is like, you know, so diversity is like, it's, it's mandatory in today's global economy. It's mandatory. Absolutely. Inclusion is something you have to opt into. You have to choose inclusion, right? You have to choose into that. And so it's, it's just letting people know, and it comes back to the, the topic of like, why are we not inclusive? So because the, it, when you start asking and answering that question, then you can start getting into some of these practical solutions to, okay, well, let's start breaking down, like what's, what's an ecosystem of a robust diversity and inclusion initiative? Because then you can start talking tactically to help these folks out with the vernacular, but more importantly, okay, there's the what, and let's get to the how. Well, and one of the one of the tactical ways that I think a lot of companies are starting to uh, to approach this are ERGs or employee resource mm -hmm. groups. Yeah. You know, I, I've <laughs> they're interesting, right? You have to be very careful on how you define those and how you launch those because, on the surface, if you really think about it, those could come off very exclusionary mm -hmm. if you're focusing each group as you know just for one specific group of people. But it's like at the same time, it could be a very powerful entity. 100%. So when they, you know, when you give people and you give them resources, um, that's the other thing about employee resource groups. If you give them resources to actually truly advocate for their voice inside a company, it can be a very powerful thing to do. And an opportunity to help start establishing that baseline vocabulary that everyone needs. Yeah. If, if they are the participants and able to say like, here's what we need as a community, here are the ways you can engage with us that are you know, really creating a place where we feel safe, then that is actually a really big deal because I think part of the reason some companies are probably scared to start talking about diversity and inclusion is that they're scared to be attacked. Attacked sure. by, you know, for saying the wrong thing or oh. doing the wrong thing. And, you know, like, I think I'd love to hear you guys get into that about, like, how can we, you know, how can companies actually get away from that fear of diving into these conversations and start creating that, that nice little safe starting place that they can just start from? Well, when you think about the overarching, like, what do we, what do we want to help organizations with overall, right? So it's recruiting and retaining talent that is from an inclusive perspective, right? So recruiting and retaining. So the ERG, BRG, Business Resource Group, Employee Resource Group construct is a great way to retain that talent, right? And so, and it does help organizations put together a. Uh, a, uh, a playbook of like, okay, here are so people with disabilities, right? So it, we always we always lead with like, we're, we're we're women of color. We're people first vernacular, helping people understand, uh, you know. So within the people with disabilities, so the term. So notice, I I'm always using the word disabled versus the word handicap. Mm -hmm. So the term handicap, believe it or not, is a derogatory term, yeah. right? Right. And there's a lot of history be, be you know behind that term handicap. However. People don't know what they don't know, right? right? The Americans with Disabilities Act was was lever the word disability because of the word handicap. However, so guess what? <laughs> so there are other constructs like uh, within uh, both medical and the military and that sort of thing that the word handicap is absolutely pervasive. Yeah. So there there are these there are the and so if you don't know what you don't know, you don't realize like oh my gosh that's offensive. So I think it's just it's it's again it starts with being aware. Well, and then and then I think for each individual company, it's it's being, 
it's defining those for your company, mm-hmm. right? I think inclusion can mean something different for every company, like innovation, right? I mean, people throw the word in, oh, we're an innovative company. Well, what does that really mean? Like, defi- <laughs> are you? <laughs> like, so it, it's, to me, it's, I think it's important for companies, and they can do this through the, through a, a, a you know, really well-planned out ERG kind of construct, like you said, where now we're all working together to define what does all of this mean for us, for our company? Because then to your point, Mike, that's the that's the that's how they communicate out and start to recruit and attract, li- you know, like-minded people, yep. and and create that sort of inclusive, authentic story of saying here's here's you know we're open to everybody and here's here's where you could fit in. So I'm going to throw a challenging question at you guys. Oh, so uh, one of the things <laughs> that I think companies will try and do to get this conversation started is provide trainings. Right? They'll bring an outside consultant in and provide a training. Um, I've heard from people that mandatory training turns people off. And I've heard from people that giving optional training means that the people that you actually want in the room don't show up. Interesting. So what do you think is a good either alternative or a setup or what can companies do if training is not the first place to start? Because that's going to be the default for a lot of places. It's like, let's just bring an outside consultant and do a training. Well, it's very much leveraged as the, uh, this, okay, every year we've got to go through 30 minutes of sexual harassment training, which, guess what? A big red truck. You need to keep people aware that that is not a good thing, right? However, when people look at it as the checkbox, right? How much value are they getting out of it? So I believe that you can absolutely lead with training and make it mandatory. However, uh, be <laughs> make sure you're vetting out the providers that you're bringing in, okay? And if, you know, find out their approach on how they are absolutely addressing some of these topics. And if, if um, you're just going to, and we, we, know, we all know who the professional training companies are out there, and they have their buffet of topics that they can cover, right? Like, you, you, sometimes you need to break away from that, like, oh, well, we have a relationship with them. We already know they're a vendor, and yes, they have this, you know, this module, right? right. So they, I think organizations, I, I think training, because again, it's, it brings up the awareness. Right. However, yeah. be be very very strategic on saying okay no 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 we because because people know like the word on the street and we all know how powerful the word on the street is we know the organizations who really embrace inclusion and who doesn't right so it's like do your due diligence like find the right person that's going to be the right fit for your company and like make sure that they are the ones that are you know going to do what's right by everyone so that way everyone feels involved and not just be that. Check cookie box. cutter checkbox thing. Well, and also, I mean, be. I think the the organization needs to be honest about why they want to offer it. Like, what's what's really truly the why here, and you know, how do we how do we not make our employees automatically feel guilty because we're mandate we're mandating that they take this training? Because that's what a lot of these trainings are, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, you look at Starbucks and Sephora, right? They closed all their stores for a full day to essentially you know pr effort slap on the wrist sensitivity training right and and all that ends up doing is just painting these underrepresented groups of people as victims and painting your employees as the aggressors and and so there there that's 
part of the problem with a lot of the overall training I think that's going on in my opinion. And so how but how do you as an organization first figure out why? So it's kind of like doing your like the company should be starting to explain the why before a trainer even comes in the Absolutely. door. So it's like they kind of have to do a certain amount of priming in a way with the entire employee base and really explain why does this matter? Why is it important and why are we even bringing this person into the room? And you know that can take time. That's not going to be something where it's just like you send out one email and say we're bringing this trainer in. It's really starting a conversation way before a trainer even gets in the room. And you could create all kinds of interactive approaches in that comms, right? To that mm -hmm. comms effort, like you can do all kinds of interactive. Like there's so many amazing, you know, cloud-based tools that can help you with that, you know, real-time dialogue, right? However, you got to create that real-time dialogue, and and I so. I truly believe, like uh, the what's what um, Starbucks did. Like most people don't realize, like okay, it just seemed like a public, you know, kind of a, a public relations kind of effort. However, it was a fifty million dollar hit, fifty million dollars. So think about the training. Like talk, I mean, how many other organizations can say that they spent fifty million dollars on a single day of training? Because ultimately, that's what they did. And so, yeah. so now, could, it, did it solve for everything? Probably not. Like we can, we can almost say, like assuredly not. However, like to me, the so when when organizations have a commitment, though, at least it's that step in the right direction. Would you guys agree? Nah, I so <laughs> my counterpoint to that is it was reactive, and they could have spent a third of that to actually put in a, a long-term training solution that would ultimately get to the root cause. So. So yes, I agree, it was a $50 million hit, but it was also, was it smart? I don't think so. Like, was it the best use of $50 million? Exactly. There's definitely I a really lot of better don't. ways you could spend $50 million to address the issues, the core issues that were happening here. Totally agree with that. Like, okay, is that, can you, however, to me, the, the you know, the willingness for, because that, that had to, like, like, that came from a single, like, to me, the leadership is willing to say, like, you know what? You know, we're, we need to do something and, and to come up with this whole, like, especially from a public relations perspective, like, okay, so Starbucks is going to roll out this initiative over the next six months. How many people would have rolled their eyes at that versus like, okay, so address something, you know, here and now and did it solve for everything? No. But I like the idea of, you know, sometimes leaders have to make those really tough decisions to say, you know, we're, we, we know this is a problem and this is our attempt to get it started. What Starbucks did uh, is what they call performative diversity initiative, where it's really much more about the performance behind it and less so about the impact. Gotcha. Yeah. And um, I think that's one of the toxic things about this diversity, equity, inclusion industry is that there's so many folks who are looking to just create band-aids to the problems as opposed to getting to the core reason why these problems exist. I totally agree. I, I still like organizations who are willing to do something versus nothing. <laughs> well, and, and actually they're um, actually put like a strategic plan behind it, right? right? I mean, I think the organizations who go above and beyond just hiring a chief diversity and inclusion officer, but actually, you know, putting a team, putting resources, having that team have a place at the table and actually looking across 
especially for global companies, yeah. you know, looking across to understand, okay, how are we going to develop an inclusion and diversity plan that aligns with the company's overall objectives, but that also takes into consideration all the different people and cultures and places and things that exist within that to create a lasting plan. Like that, that's, you know, that's where things start to get serious, to get beyond that check the box kind of thing. Well, and it, the strategy is exactly what Nina was talking about immediately, you know, at the beginning was saying, okay, so what, you know, how do you, how do you address the, you know, the language in these initiatives? So it does start with a strategy, right? Like it really, one of the things that you need to start with, like saying, okay, well, let's, let's find out what's out there, right? Strategically, let's find out like who's doing what, and, and then saying, okay, well then, you know, whether you do, uh, you know, start with something, you know, like and I, if organizations, you know, immediately have, you know, the top four, right, which are ethnicity and, and gender and uh, LGBTQ and veterans, I'm, I'm always thrilled to hear that. And so we talk to them about, okay, and let's expand that conversation and here's how you do it from a language perspective. And then, you know, what's the support and constructs around that? And then, you know, so at least, or if organizations are starting with nothing, saying, okay, well then, you know, here's, here's a great starting point. Yeah, I think, um, I think you're right, Mike. Like strategy and coming up with a strategy is really key. I heard some pretty cool stuff that some companies are doing just to test the waters and figure out like where people are at. And so one of the things I heard one company do was that they were actually just kind of creating flyers that were educational flyers that they would post in like the coffee room or, um, toilet stalls where you have an undivided <laughs> attention of an audience member. And, um, you know, and it was just talking about like baseline vocabulary, like, you know, why do people have preferred pronouns? Yeah. Um, you know, what, what is this idea of unconscious bias? Um, and just starting those conversations about, yeah, maybe it's even something like, you know, what's the difference between disabled and handicapped? Right. And then giving that context. So people are just kind of reading it and just seeing it passively, but it's a way to just start, you know, being um, aware, yeah, yes, to start getting like some exposure to this information that they otherwise never would. And that way it's also like the training part isn't like the first time yeah, when you're getting you're it hearing, going yeah, information yeah. overload. Well, and I love but like, that. how can you like maybe just like spatter pieces of this information that people don't have to be sitting and like, okay, now it's the diversity and inclusion training time, yeah, but exactly. something that's yeah. just kind of like they're getting exposed to this little bit by little bit, just as part of their day-to-day -day interactions. Public service announcements work. They really do. PSAs, we know that. I mean, we can go back to click it or ticket or you give a hoot, don't pollute. Like we, I mean, th th these are leveraged at a very high enterprise level. And so organizations can make a, you know, minor, they can do minor steps to start making a long, long lasting effect. Well, and, and I think that approach, you know, an organization can say, look, we care about each and every individual person in our organization. And we know that creating an inclusive, safe workplace for everyone starts with every single individual person. And so the PSA is kind of that spattering of, of definitions and hey, this is, this is how we think of you know, diversity and inclusion. What do you think? Mm -hmm. But helping each individual person to understand, be aware, and start to be better because of that awareness, I think that's where you, you know, I truly believe that's where the biggest impact is gonna come in building an inclusive workplace because it can't come from the top necessarily, right? Like it, 
just because the CEO said, oh, well, we have an inclusive workplace. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the strategy, though, so again, if, we, if we're addressing this and we know the, the problem statement that we're solving for, you know, a tactical thing that our audience can put in place is at least start talking about, you know, what is an inclusion-based strategy to look like? Mm-hmm. Right, and so, and and yes, there's, so, because we all know like the statistics are there for um, successful ERG, BRG constructs have to have an executive sponsor. So you have to have, you know, a top-down, bottom-up approach to anything that's gonna uh, be long-lasting and truly be part of the DNA. Yeah, and what better way to truly have success from something like that than actually living that, hey, every single one of you is involved in this conversation. Absolutely. So I want to put a question out to the audience. And if there are people that you think would be a great guest for our show to specifically talk about some of the things that we're talking about here that can give us concrete examples of things they've done at their companies, we would love to hear from them. So please uh, let us know uh, who you recommend and we can, we would love to get in touch with them and get them onto the show. Yeah, because we know, we know we're immensely uh, entertaining, however. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, hey, we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>